reading from the 19th chapter of the book of 1 Kings, beginning with the first verse. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word, of Lord, uh, the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I read this text before I went on vacation up there to Dunkirk, New York and the wonderful Lake Erie. It's a beautiful, beautiful place except when the wind blows and it's raining, which is 50% of the time. 
and there were 20 mile an hour winds for two straight days blowing rain, we were in a tent. And I thought about this text a little bit, even after this week, and I was on vacation, because when the rain and the wind quit, the silence truly was deafening. The first thing you notice is something's missing. When there's no wind in that part of New York, people say something's missing. And it was calm and still. And I wondered if that's what Elijah felt like after suffering a wind that moved rocks and split a mountain, after suffering through an earthquake and wondering, is God in all of this calamity? Is God in all of the loudness? He heard God in a still, small voice, as the King James told us. And people have wrestled with that. If you look in various English translations of the Bible, you'll see something called the sound of sheer silence. Or you hear a sound of gentle blowing. A gentle whisper and a still small voice. Regardless, as I told the kids a little while ago, I think what we're supposed to learn from that is that God comes to us in ways that are subtle. But often we're not willing to listen for a subtle voice. When we ask God for signs, we want fireworks in the sky, we want cardinals outside our window. And very often what we all need is just the simple bread and whispers of daily life. Where God speaks a word of encouragement to us through a friend, a relative. Through someone in church, through a pastor. And even sometimes through an enemy. Even sometimes through people that we don't want to hear. We find Elijah depressed. We find him down. And he's had quite a career so far. He's raised somebody from the dead. He killed 900 prophets on top of Mount Carmel. He called lightning down from heaven and burn up an altar that was soaking wet. Dude's been on a roll. And he goes and tells the king of the Israelites all this. And I guess maybe what he was expecting is they would be shook to the core and they would turn their hearts back to the Lord God of Israel because that's a prophet's job. A prophet's job is not future telling. A prophet's job is to present the future that God has for the people. His job is to regurgitate the promises of God to the people, the promises that have been placed on his own heart, to spit them up before the king in the hope that the king would respond because they've been chasing after Baal and the gods of the Canaanites. They've fallen into the sickness and sin of idolatry, which is the number one sin in all of the Bible that we are warned against. It's what Jesus had in mind when he told us that we can't worship wealth and God because worshiping wealth is idolatry. Elijah had gotten a bad performance review from the king and he was down. The king turned and instead of turning his heart to God, he turned to his wife Jezebel and said, this Elijah guy is a problem. And she said, I'll deal with him effectively. And told Elijah that tomorrow you will be like one of those that you killed. You too will die. 
And I can just imagine, I mean, here's Elijah. He's preached 20 of the greatest sermons ever preached and no one's come forward at the altar call to put it in a modern way of thinking. The one person he preached to turned his ears and turned his back. The person whose heart he was attempting to capture, the king, the leader, the shepherd of the people, refused to listen. And Elijah found himself despondent and depressed. Elijah was a prophet. His job was to call the heart of the people back to the true God, the God of Israel. He's not the only one that we know of. We know of modern prophets. Have you heard of a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of a handful of German theologians who stood up to Hitler. It cost him his life. One of a handful of German pastors who stood up to a man who claimed that he was the head of the church. And it cost him his life. I imagine that there were days when Bonhoeffer felt like Elijah, when he felt like he had failed because the people of Germany wouldn't listen to him and Karl Barth and the other people who wrote the Barman Proclamation, simply saying that Christ was the head of the church and not Hitler. I imagine Bonhoeffer felt a little bit like Elijah. And I encountered another story this week as I prepared that I had never heard before. And it's about another modern-day prophet, a man named Martin Luther King, Jr. And I want to share with you a telling of this story written by the Reverend Charles Hoffaker. I'm trusting Reverend Hoffaker that his reliance of the story is factual, but I think in this story you might hear some of Elijah's story and hopefully some encouragement for your own witness. It was very late at night when the young Baptist minister answered the phone. The voice on the other end threatened him with death, then hung up. The young minister walked into his kitchen and with trembling hands put on a pot of coffee, then sank into a chair at the kitchen table. Listen to his words. I was ready to give up. With my cup of coffee sitting untouched before me, I tried to think of a way to move out of the picture without appearing a coward. In this state of exhaustion, when my courage had all but gone, I decided to take my problem to God. With my head in my hands, I bowed over the kitchen table and prayed aloud. The words I spoke to God that midnight are still vivid in my memory. I'm here taking a stand for what I believe is right, but now I am afraid. The people are looking to me for leadership. And if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. I am at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I have come to the point where I can't face it alone. At that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced God before. It seems as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, Stand up for justice, stand up for truth, and God will be at your side forever. Almost at once, my fear began to go, my uncertainty disappeared. I was ready to face anything. 
That young minister was Martin Luther King Jr. The year was 1956, and the Montgomery bus boycott had been going on for months, much longer than anyone expected. The power structure in Montgomery saw the boycott as an economic threat. King, the man of the hour, appeared as the confident new leader, publicly confronting racism and injustice in a spirit of nonviolence. Yet privately, he was a reluctant prophet, willing to work for social change, but uncomfortable with the spotlight of national leadership. And he was receiving death threats, sometimes dozens each day. What happened to King at his kitchen table was nothing transitory. Subsequent events demonstrated that it brought about a lasting transformation. Three days later, King's home was bombed. His family was nearly killed. How did he react? Strangely enough, he later wrote, I accepted the word of the bombing calmly. My religious experience a few nights before had given me the strength to face it. News of the bombing bought, brought a crowd to the site. Soon this crowd became a mob pressing up against the shattered house and shouting for vengeance. King mounted his broken porch and raised his arms. We must meet hate with love, he called out. Remember, if I am stopped, this movement will not stop because God is with this movement. Go home with this glorious faith and this radiance assured. The mob dissolved, their mood reversed, the message of the gospel, nonviolence ringing in their hearts. Sounds a lot like Elijah's story, doesn't it? And the truth is that every time we stand up for the poor and for the broken and for those who are cast out, for those who have society's backs turned on them, for the so-called unworthy poor of the world, there will be those who shake their fist in our face and tell us we are doing wrong. And many of them will quote the Bible as they bomb a man's house and celebrate his death over their dinner tables as a troublemaker was put down. But the same thing that comforted Elijah... The same thing that comforted Dietrich Bonhoeffer. The same thing that comforted Martin Luther King Jr. The same strength and power that they had is present in us. All that is required of us to access it is the simple faith that God is with us. We stand for the broken. And when we love the unlovable, this story is not some otherworldly story of a guy who just lived 2,700 years ago. It's our story. God still whispers in our hearts. God still comes to us in the broken bread at the table and feeds us for the journey before us. He still comes to nourish us through his own life to give us the grace of Christ through the broken body and the cup. To give us grace through our baptism to lift us up and give us his own spirit so that we can be people in the world who stand up to the demonic forces of hate. 
It's not a different power that was in them. They weren't superhuman. They were human just like us. And when faced with criticism, when faced with threats, Elijah shrunk back into the same human condition that haunts us. The sin and the hurt that tells us that we can't, we can't serve God in ways that threaten our own being. The human condition that says we come first, I come first, it's all about me. As I heard one time, there may not be an I in team, but there's an I in win. The problem is we're called to be losers with Christ. Jesus was the biggest loser that ever lived. Until God raised him from the dead. And now he is the king of glory. And we can walk in the knowledge that though we lose in this world, if we are ridiculed for our faith, if we even be put to death for our faith, though we be ostracized at work by our friends, by our family, by whomever, God will raise us up. As we stand with him and serve him. Too many Christians are sitting on the sidelines to use a football analogy. Watching the world descend into hell in a big giant basket. The world needs your witness, dear ones. It needs for you to be vocal about this God who is not far away, but a God who comes to us in the stillness of whispers and the love of meeting our needs and calling us to love him and love our neighbors as ourselves. It needs for you to be bold and to sit at your kitchen table in those nights when you don't know what to do about something and to listen for his voice in the stillness and the quiet of desperation. All too often we let our depressions and our sadness haunt us when at times they can be the very thing that drive us to the throne of grace. The very things that usher us into the presence of the divine creator. Elijah is sustained on the mountain for a specific work. To call the hearts of the people back to God. Dear ones, if you will take that challenge, as our founder Wesley said, to spread scriptural holiness throughout the land, to call people to new life in Christ. If you will take that as your reason for existence, you will never be left alone in it. You will never be abandoned to being despondent. God will be with you. God will be with us as we seek to serve Him even when we fail miserably, there will still be bread for us. There will still be the small voice that meets us on the side of the mountain. Be encouraged by this story. Be emboldened by it. And leave this place to share the good news that the kingdom of God has come in Christ Jesus. And invite others into his love and hope and joy. Be bold.
be unafraid. For the God of Elijah goes with you. Amen. We stand to sing.